Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Man, that felt good to say. I haven't said that in a while. Um, can we do, do me a favor? Can you give the worship team a round of applause as they head back to the green room? We missed that, didn't we? And uh, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Psalm 23. We're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning. And I want to start off this morning with a, a question. There's something I'm not exactly sure about. Here's the question I have for you. What do you preach on when you haven't gathered together as a church for 32 weeks? Anyone have any good ideas? Like, there isn't um, exactly a playbook for today. I didn't take a class in Bible school called Navigating a Worldwide Pandemic. What do you preach on? And um, man, do you guys remember back in March when everything shut down? It felt like in like two days. Do you remember that? I was actually in Arizona and uh, caught a flight back. And it was crazy because when our flight left, it left at like 7 o'clock at night. Um, when we took off, things were still open, and by the time we landed, the NBA had shut down, a bunch of arenas had shut down, a bunch of cities had shut down, and it's like, by the time I was in the air, I landed in a different country than when I took off. And uh, that next day, I got to the office, and I just, we grabbed as many pastors and staff as we could, and we had a meeting, like, all right, what are we going to do? Things are shutting down all over the place, we don't exactly know what's happening, but it seems like things are changing very, very quickly, and we made the decision, all right, we're going to close services. And I vividly remember in that room us talking like complete morons, you know, we're, we're only going to be closed like two weeks. You know, we'll shut down for two weeks, we'll figure out where things are at, and, and, and man, if things get crazy, we'll be like closed for four to eight weeks. We might have to do Easter online. None of us ever for a minute believed we would find ourselves here today, our first time meeting back together in October. So where do we go from here? Um, to be honest, 10 days ago, we outlined our services 10 days in advance, and we had something different planned. If you've been following us online, you know we are studying the life of Christ right now, and we are working our way through the Gospels, kind of following Jesus' life and ministry, and we were just like, all right, we're going to keep going with that. And we have that passage outlined. I was sermon prepping last weekend, and I just couldn't get myself at a place where I was at peace with just moving on in our series the first weekend we were back together. So uh, my dad's preaching at Grand Haven this weekend, and I called him Tuesday morning, and I'm like, Dad, you're going to be so mad at me because you hate when I do this, but I'm not at peace with this message, and I know that that affects you too. I think we need to call an audible. And uh, surprisingly, he was like, you know what? I've been wrestling with this same thing. I, I totally agree. I, I think we are missing potentially an important moment for our church if we don't address what's been going on in our world for the last six months, right? And I can see it in some of your faces. Some of you are like, Cal, I'm at church for the first time. The last thing I want to do is hear the words 2020 or pandemic, right? I feel that too. Trust me. I, I feel that. But church... What's going on in our hearts this morning is not disconnected from the lives that we're living all day, every day, in a world that honestly is very, very different than the one where we gathered together last time. And what I want to do today is I want to do the best I can to pastor our hearts, not focus on the circumstances, but focus on where are our hearts as we come together and worship this morning. What is the Lord doing inside of us this season? What might he be teaching us and growing us in in the middle of a difficult year? Can I ask you a question? Do you believe that God is still moving in 2020? Okay, if you, if you believe that, say, I believe that. 
wow, you guys aren't rusty at all. You were right there with me. That's good. The five o'clock was not as strong as you guys were. Um, I believe that too. And so here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. It's this. It's that we as a church, we have to commit not to waste this season. We have to commit not to waste this season. We are in a difficult time as a country and as a um, world, and it's been hard for um, me, it's been hard for you, it's been hard for everyone, and I think the most difficult part is it doesn't feel like we're through it yet, but we have a choice. Are we going to waste this season, or are we going to lean in to what God might be doing in our hearts? So do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 23. Here's what it says. This is a very famous passage. Many of you could recite this to me by heart. It says this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, that's all the verses we're going to focus on this morning is the first three verses of Psalm 23. Here's what I love about this text. The exegesis or the explanation of this passage could not be more simple. It's very, very clear. In this text, the Lord has a job and I have a job, right? The Lord's job is he is the shepherd. His job is to bring me to green pastures, to still waters. He is the one responsible for restoring my soul. The onus of leadership and guiding is on the Lord. My job is very, very simple. I've got to be willing to follow my good shepherd. I've got to cling to the Lord. I've got to allow him to be the one that leads my life. I've got to yield control of my life and my thing to the Lord. And he promises that when I do that, the result is peace and blessing. The Lord has a job and I have a job. Any of you ever been to Alaska before? Raise if you've been to Alaska um, if you've ever been to Alaska, isn't that like the most beautiful place in, in the whole world? Alaska is like my favorite place. I've been there four times. I got to take my wife last year for her first time. And when we go to Alaska, we go fishing. And uh, we go to a lodge. There's a picture of my wife. I chose a picture of her because she's prettier than I am. And um, we go to this lodge and we spend like a week fishing. And the secret to the whole experience is when we go out fishing, there's guides that go with us. And like they're the key to the whole trip because the guides, they live there sometimes year around or they come up for the summer and, and when they take us fishing, they know the land and they know the rivers and, and they're in charge of everything, right? They know where the fish are, they've seen where the salmon are running or, or they know where the trout beds are and they bring us to the right spot and they're like, hey Cal, you dummy, cast it right there. And I cast it right there in a fish bites and I take a picture and I feel like I'm an awesome fisherman, right? Like it's stupid foolproof fishing. But they know if there's been bears around, they know what the schedule is. When I get up in the morning, it's because the guides are telling me to get up. When I have lunch, it's because the guides are telling me it's time for lunch. And when we go back in, it's because the guides are saying, all right, Cal, it's time to go back in. Like they are in control of the whole show. And here's what's amazing about that. Because I have a guide who's leading me, I am free for that whole week. I don't have to think about anything except for enjoying my time with my wife, enjoying God's beautiful creation and fishing. I'm actually more free in that experience because I have a guide who's leading me. Does that make sense? And I think that's a really cool picture of how God wants us to relate to him. Hey, listen, I'm in control. 
I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to lead you to green pastures and still waters. And if you trust me, if you actually follow me, you will be more free to love one another. You'll be more free to enjoy your life. And you'll be more free to enjoy your relationship with me as the one who's leading you and guiding you. So why do I bring that up? And and here's why. Because I think one of the uh, primary things that 2020 has revealed about our hearts is that a lot of us don't want to be shepherd, shepherded. A lot of us, rather than having a shepherd, we'd prefer a map and a schedule, wouldn't we? Right? We want to know exactly where we are. We want to know exactly what's going on. And rather than yielding ourselves to the control of the good father who promises to protect us and to work all things together for our good, we're like, no, 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 I want to understand this. And I want to feel like I'm in control and I want my plans to be the plan. And rather than having a shepherd, we want a map and a schedule, right? And if you think about it, it's an insane trade. I mean, think about the Alaska analogy, right? If I tell the guides in Alaska to go away to drop me off in the Alaskan wilderness and just give me a map and a schedule, I'm no longer on vacation. I'm trying to survive. And knowing me, that's not going to go well and it's not going to last very long. And maybe that's how some of us feel, where it's like we've been surviving rather than trusting the Lord and thriving in this season. So I've titled the message, How to Waste a Pandemic, and we've got three things we're looking at, and it's called Three Ways to Waste a Worldwide Pandemic. Here's the first one. It's this. First way to waste a worldwide pandemic is desperately cling to the illusion of control. Desperately cling to the illusion of control. And I just want to say this um, before I get any farther. Please hear me. I'm not preaching at you this morning. Every one of these things the Lord has revealed about me and has had to to knead into my heart in this season. I am a a little bit of a control freak. Any other control freaks in the room or is it just your pastor? Right? I like to have a plan. I like to know where I'm going. And it feels like a lot of that has been put on hold and it's been difficult. But if we're going to waste this season, the first thing we should do is cling to the illusion of control. You know, it's funny. Sociologists say that we actually only have about 15% of the control over our lives that we believe we have over our lives. So we think we're in control of all of these different things, our family, our health, our job, all of these things. And in reality, we only have about 15% of control of those things. And I think one of the things that God is doing in 2020 is he is opening our eyes in a dramatic way to how many things you and I have zero control over, right? Like think about all of the things we don't have control over right now. Think about all of the unanswered questions in our life as we sit here today, And if you're looking at me like, Cal, I don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. I wrote them down. You want to hear some of them? When are we going to be through this pandemic? I have no idea. I have no idea. Is me or my family members, are we going to get COVID and have to quarantine and have to do all of that stuff? I don't know. I have no idea. How about this? Are the schools going to stay open this fall? Right? That seems to be changing every day, depending on what school district you're in. I don't know. You're going to like this one. Is church going to have to shut down again? I have no idea. I honestly do not know. When are we going to not have to wear masks anymore? Any of you wondering that? I don't know. That's the answer. What is this going to do? What's all of this going to do to the collective psyche of our country? I don't know. What's the long-term economic impact uh, of going through all of this going to mean for us? What's the economy going to look like in six months or a year from now? I don't know. 
Here's a fun one. What's going to happen after the elections? When are we going to find out who our new president's going to be? I have no idea. I don't know. What's going to happen with the deepening divide and hostility on basically every level of our society right now? I think our country's probably more angry and upset than it's ever been, potentially. I don't know. When are vaccines going to be available? I don't know. Is it going to make any difference? I have no idea. What's church going to look like in a year from now? I don't know. But church, look at me. It's okay. All of that we don't know, and it's okay. Like, what if I told you not only is it okay, but maybe that's the entire point. Maybe all of this is happening because God is revealing to us that the green pastures and still waters that our hearts long for are never going to be found when we believe we're in control. Because when I'm in control, I don't need to be shepherded. What if God is destroying in our hearts, hopefully once and for all, the illusion that we are in control and then rather than living lives that are marked by anxiety and fear and stress because we have to control everything, we can say, no, no, we have a good shepherd who leads us to green pastures and still waters and I'm going to enjoy life trusting that he's in control. Church, it's okay. All right, so that was the easy questions. You ready for the tough ones? Here's a tough question. How did you respond when control was taken away? Right? If, if we're control freaks a little bit, we, we don't like this feeling of being out of control. So how has your heart responded to all of this in the last six months? Can we do some heart surgery on ourselves right now? Here's a question. Did, uh, did we panic and get selfish when we lost control? Right? I think we're far enough removed that we can all laugh at the reality that when the world shuts down, Americans run to the toilet paper, right? <laughs> oh no, the world is collapsing. Let's find all the toilet paper. I remember uh, laughing with my wife about this and I showed her an article and Mary was like, oh, we're fine. I hoard toilet paper all the time. <laughs> and I was like, I might be a little bit more concerned about that than the pandemic right now. How did I not know about this? Where's all this toilet paper and why do you keep it? Like, I learned something about my wife that day. But was your mentality instantly, I just got to take care of myself and I've got to protect myself and I've only got to worry about me and, and how, how, how am I going to get through this? Here's a question. Did we obsess over the things we could control? Like, I don't know what's happening in our society and I don't know what's going on in our world, but here's what I can control. My kitchen's going to be spotless. And I'm going to clean my house seven times a day. You know what? I'm going to get in the best shape of my life because I can control my health and I can't control anything else. But if I'm in good shape, that's going to help my immune system. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat a million vitamins every day. Did we obsess over the things we believed we could control, trying to grasp for that sense of control back? Did we obsess over the virus? Right, if I just read every piece of literature on what's happening and follow all of the test results and read all of the opinion pieces, the more I know, the more I feel like I'm in control. It's an illusion, but, but did we obsess over what was going on because we believed that that brought some sense of control back? Did we give in to fear? Did we panic? Did the stress and anxiety and fear in our hearts rise to all-time highs? Did we close ourselves off from everyone, even the people we love? Were we paralyzed by fear of an illness? Here's one. 
Did we adopt a critical spirit? Right? Did we start to think to ourselves, man, if I was the president, I would have handled this so much differently. Or if I was our governor, man, I, I, would have, I can't believe she's doing that. Or if I was running the, the school districts, there's no way I would reopen this way. And if I was the elders, if I was leading the church, there's, there's no way I'd be closed this long. Did we adopt this spirit where it was like, man, if everyone was as smart as me, the world would be great. And were we critical of those that were leading and making decisions that might be contrary to our own? Or did we lead with grace saying, you know, this is really hard for everyone. These are decisions that I wouldn't want to have to make. And did we give grace? Here's one. Did we get defiant? No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm an American. I'm going to live my life. I'm an adult. I'm not going to abide by anything. Did we see in our hearts this sense of, man, I just want to do my own thing. And I just want you to understand that's an attempt to reestablish control when it feels like it's fleeting. Were we just angry? Did we lash out? And maybe we lashed out on social media, right? If you've spent any time on Facebook or social media, you know it hasn't been a pleasant place to be in 2020, right? Right, I'd say 2020 is the year of people telling on themselves, um, and maybe it wasn't publicly, maybe it was privately. Like, I'm telling you, there were times where it was like, man, I'm way shorter with my kids than I should be right now. Or, or there's friction in my marriage, or I'm just feeling like I've got a short fuse right now, and it's stress over everything that's happening around me that I feel like I can't control. Here's a question. Did we get super passive in our faith? Did we just say, all right, I'm putting the Bible on the shelf, and I'm replacing the Bible for CNN or Fox News, and I'm not going to lean into my small group right now and my brothers and sisters in Christ who hold me accountable. I'm kind of taking a break off that. Like, I've talked with people in our church who are like, Cal, I, I hate to say this, but I've lived the last six months like an unbeliever. I just didn't know what to do. I felt out of control, so I just got lazy and I got passive, and I just wanted to do what was easy because that felt good in the moment. Maybe you're like me and you see moments of all of these in your heart. You know, it's, it's interesting. I have had people ask me, hey, Cal, what's it been like for you? Right? You've got to lead a church and you've got decisions you have to make and this hasn't been easy for everyone and I'm sure you're hearing a lot of opinions. How has this been for you? And you know what my honest answer is? It depends on the day. Right? There have been moments in this when I allow myself to focus on all of the things I can't control or when I allow myself to focus on all of the frustrations of how things are different or how they're not like I wish they were, guess what? I spiral very, very quickly. All right, but there's other days where I'm at the spot where I can honestly say, hey, God, I believe you're in control and I know that you're good. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the best I can today to honor you, to serve you, to make the best decisions I can, and I'm going to trust you with tomorrow because tomorrow looks like it's going to be crazy, and I don't have the solutions, but you do. When I could get myself to this place where it's like, God, I'm going to do the best with what you've given me today, and I'm going to trust you for tomorrow, I could feel the peace and joy flooding back into my heart. And here's why. Because when we allow our good shepherd to lead, he brings us to green pastures and still waters. But if we continue to grasp at this illusion of control, we're never going to find those places. Here's the second way to waste a pandemic. It's this. Hope in the exact same things the world hopes in 
If we want to waste this season, what we need to do is we need to place our hope in the exact same things the world is placing our hope in. Because here's the thing, church, we're not of this world, and our hope needs to be different than this world. First Peter 2.9, it's on the screen, it says this. Peter's talking about our identity. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's saying we are a chosen people, a people that have been set apart, not to place our hope in the things of the world, but to point in the marvelous power of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. Ephesians 1.18, Paul writes this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Listen, church, the things that the world wants you to hope in is never going to lead to the peace and joy that comes from the Lord because only the Lord can provide that. All right, let me get really, really specific. Any of you guys, do me a favor, raise your hand if you're ready for elections to come just because you're tired of the political ads. Anyone else there? Like, I am so over the political ads, and here's why. It doesn't matter what candidate it is. Isn't every political ad exactly the same? It's like my opponent is the embodiment of evil, They're just selfish. They want to destroy your life. They want to make your life miserable. Put your hope in me. I'll fight for you. I'll make everything amazing and I'll solve all of our problems, right? Every political ad's the exact same. And it's like just this narrow view that it's only good or evil, good or bad. It's just like this war that's happening every time there's a commercial. Everyone's exactly the same. And so here's an analogy I want to use. Um, If you know me pretty well. You know that I'm a massive baseball fan, and I'm a huge fan of the Chicago White Sox. I was born in Wheaton, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. My dad was a White Sox fan. I grew up in a White Sox family. Like, I didn't have a choice. I am a White Sox fan. And and my son, Bo, who's seven, he is a huge White Sox fan. And, And in Chicago, the main team is the Chicago Cubs. The smaller team is the Chicago White Sox. So that means that many of my friends, almost all of my friends that I grew up with and that I know or are from Chicago, they're all Cubs fans. Pastor Ryan, he's a Cubs fan. Uh, Chris and Carolyn, they're Cubs fans. Steve Bullig, he, he's a Cubs fan. I'm surrounded with Cubs fans. And that the reason that is is because the Bible clearly says that the road to destruction is wide and the road to salvation is narrow, right? Like, I get this, I've processed it, I understand it. Um, But the White Sox usually aren't very good. We're kind of a smaller market team, we don't have a ton of money, Um, but this year, uh, we made the playoffs. We had an incredible year. We've got a lot of good young players, it was a fun season, we won a lot of games, and because of the nature uh, of the shutdown, I gotta watch a lot of those games with my son, Bo. And we made the playoffs for the first time in 12 years, had a great season. We got to the first round of the playoffs, and we choked, right? We lost in the first round. And I remember after the final out, when we lost to the Oakland Athletics, um, instantly my son just breaks down and starts crying. And he's like, it's going to be so long, you know, till I get to see them play again. And we're not usually very good, and we were good this year. And, like, he's just heartbroken. Um, guess what? I was completely emotionally unaffected. And listen, I love the White Sox. I'm a huge fan. I read about them. I listen to podcasts. I do all of the nerdy fan stuff. But after the game, I had dinner with my family. I played with my kids. I put them to bed. I watched a movie with Mary and had an incredible night. 
I didn't yell at my wife. I didn't storm out the door. I didn't break anything. You know why? Because even though I love the Chicago White Sox, they occupy 0% of the hope in my heart. All right, now hear me. I understand this isn't a perfect analogy and that politics impact our lives in real ways more than the Chicago White Sox do, although my son Bo would argue that. Um, so here's what I'm saying. Care about politics. Be involved. Vote. Be passionate. Have an opinion. All of those are good things. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not dogging politics. Wow, that was not as good as the first time. Let's try that again. He's not dogging politics. Turn to your neighbor and say that again. <laughs> Trying to protect myself from the inevitable emails that are coming. Listen, I'm not out on politics. I love America. I love the freedoms we have to vote. It's an amazing thing. But listen, it should occupy 0% of the hope in our heart. Not 5%, not 1%, 0%. You know why? Because our hope fully rests in the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of every nation, the one who's going to return, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is the one who's in control. So are we involved? Do we have opinions? Do we care? Yes. But if it owns our heart, if it owns our hope in any way, we are missing the inheritance we have in Christ. Philippians 3, 17 says this. It says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our hope is in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, my grandma, she's 80 years old. And uh, some of you might have met her. She's been around church a, a couple times, but she lives in Orlando. But she comes and spends her summers in Michigan, and she's got a cottage about an hour from here in Sand Lake. And, you know, she's 80, and she is the wisest, most well-read, most intelligent, godly lady I've ever met. Like, she is amazing. So whenever we have chance to spend time with her, we want to spend time with her. And now that she's getting older, I just don't know how many more opportunities I'm going to have. So this summer, I brought some friends of mine, and I'm like, you have to meet my grandma. I want you to meet her. And so I brought one of my best friends. His name is Elias. And I introduced him to my grandma. And like right away, Elias just went for it. And he's like, all right, uh, um, Cal says great things about you. Here's what I want to know. What's the secret to having a blessed life? I'm like, wow, you really went for it right there. Um, and my grandma just smiled. And she's like, there's three things you need to do if you're going to live a blessed life. She says, the first, work hard and pay your bills on time. Work hard and live with integrity. Second, she says, Love and be faithful to your wife and kids. And then third, she says, walk with the Lord. She goes, if you do those three things, you are going to live a life full of joy and full of blessing. And I remember as we were leaving that conversation, Elias was like, dude, Cal, your grandma's amazing. Can she be my grandma? I was like, no, get your own grandma, right? <laughs> um, absolutely not. But isn't that so good? Hey, do you want to live a life full of blessing? Walk with the Lord. Be faithful to your spouse and to your kids and live with integrity. And here's what's amazing. Notice what my grandma didn't say. 
When Elias was like, hey, Grandma, what's the key to, to living a blessed life? She wasn't like, it's Reaganomics. That changed everything, right? The key to, to everything getting better was when, you know, Bush was voted in. No, no, it had nothing to do with politics, right? But we believe this lie that, man, this is the thing that's going to make our world or our lives have meaning. Church, look here. There is not a candidate. There is not a policy there is not a version of America, past, present, or future, that has the ability to satisfy your soul. Only the Lord can do that because our souls were made for him. And he says, you want to find green pastures and still waters, you got to cling to me and let me lead you and guide you. Don't put your hope in the same things the world hopes in. So here's what this means practically. On election day, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in line and I'm going to vote. And the next day when I wake up, if we know then who wins or if it's in three months from now, regardless of if my candidate wins or not, I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to honor the leaders that God has put over me. And I'm going to have peace and joy in my life because my hope is not tied to the political climate in our nation. Amen? Where's your hope been in this season? Has our hope drifted it's easy to find ourselves drifting right now. All right, here's the third way to waste a pandemic. It's this. Come through this season completely unchanged. Come through this season completely unchanged. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles open, turn them to Exodus 13. I want you to see this passage. Exodus 13, starting at verse 17. I want to quick set up the context for you. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt. And God calls this Israelite named Moses. He says, I'm going to raise you up and you're going to lead my people out of slavery into the promised land. And Moses is like, I don't know if I really want to do it. God's like, no, you're the one you're going to do it. Go to Pharaoh, demand that my people are released. So he goes to Pharaoh 10 times and says, hey, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, God, God puts 10 plagues on the nations of Egypt and he punishes them for Pharaoh's rebellion. And eventually Pharaoh relents and says, all right, Israelites, get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. You guys are free. All right, so now Moses is leading this nation of former slaves and he's leading them to the promised land. And that's where we pick up in Exodus 13, 17. Here's what it says. It says, when Pharaoh... Uh, let the people go. He did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up from the land of Egypt equipped for battle. All right, so something amazing just happened here. So, so as they're leaving Egypt, there's two ways for them to go. They could go straight north into the promised land. The promised land wasn't far away at all, and it was occupied by the Philistines. And in God revealing to us why he decided to do what he did, he said, I knew that the Israelites' hearts were not ready for war yet. They were not ready to enter the promised land. So he took them the long way into the wilderness because he wanted to prepare their hearts to be the people that would be ready to enter the land. And here's what's amazing. Look at the end of verse 18 again. It said, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. You see, the Israelites thought, okay, we're going to the promised land. We're ready to fight. We're, we're, we're ready to do this. Let's just go right there. And God knew that their heart wasn't ready, so he took them into the wilderness. Here's a question. Do you think God could have handled the Philistine armies? Do you think God was actually worried about the threat of the Philistines? 
Probably not. He, he's God. He could have handled that easily. But here's what God knew. The hearts of my people weren't connected to him yet. God was saying, the hearts of my people aren't ready to be the people I need them to be in the promised land. So guess what he did? He brought them to the wilderness. And what did the wilderness reveal about the Israelites? It revealed their idolatry. Remember, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he's gone for a few days. And what do the Israelites do? They freak out and they start worshiping the same pagan gods that their uh, owners worshiped in Egypt. They turned from God instantly and started worshiping idols. Um, it revealed the grumbling in their hearts, right? They, they didn't have food, so they grumbled and complained. So God had bread fall from the sky. But then they wanted different food. They were sick of that food. So they grumbled and complained. So guess what God did? He brought meat from the sky. Well, then they hoarded that and, and like, over and over and over again, they were saying, God, you're not enough. Following you is not enough. I want life to be easier. Over and over again, Moses had to put down rebellion, right? Then they got to the edge of the promised land and what happened? They saw all of the Philistine armies and they said, oh no, we're gonna get overtaken. We don't wanna go into the promised land. So God had to let that generation die off and raise up a new generation who would trust him and enter the promised land. You see, there was a work that God had to do in the hearts of the people that would only be accomplished in the wilderness. Don't you guys agree that 2020s felt like a little bit of a wilderness season? Can we agree that with that? And then it kind of feels like we're still there. So what do you think God's doing in our hearts in this season? Like if God is truly working all things together for our good and his glory, that means he has led us into this wilderness on purpose for a reason. And it's not because he hates us or because he's punishing us or because he's angry. It's because he loves us and he is doing a work in our hearts. You know, it's interesting. One of the things I've heard over and over in this season is I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. All right, let's tell ourselves. Raise your hand if you've said that. I've said that for sure. Like, I just want things to get back to normal. When are we gonna be through this? When are we gonna go back to the way it was? I, I, I want things to be normal. And, and here's what I would say, church. Am I ready for the restrictions to be loosened? Am I ready for things to look like they did before? Absolutely. But I don't wanna go back to being the same person I was a year ago. Because if that's true, that means I've wasted this season. Church, we can't be the same church we were a year ago. Because if we are, then we have wasted this season. So I don't know what all of those changes are going to look like. I don't know what that's gonna mean for me and for you and for all of us together, but it has to be different because our shepherd has led us into the wilderness for our good. And what we need to do right now is we need to say, all right, God, I wanna lean into what you're doing in my life. I wanna lean into what you're revealing about my heart. Where are the areas where I'm still kicking against your authority and your leadership? Where are the areas where I would still rather have the map and the schedule and do my own thing rather than yield myself to you and enjoy the peace and blessing you provide? Like, listen, church, this isn't all bad. Like, we're learning a lot about ourselves right now, aren't we? Like, here's what I can promise you. I have no shortage of material of things to preach through for the next five years after going through this year. It's gonna be great. But I think God has us in a season that's difficult because he wants to do something powerful in our lives. I have to believe that because I believe in the character of the good shepherd we follow. So here's what I wanna do. I just wanna close with this question. It's this. It's what is the good shepherd showing you about yourself in this season? What is the good shepherd showing you about yourself in this season? 
And here's the hard part, I can't answer this for you. I've thrown out some questions, I've thrown out some ideas, but I don't know where your heart is right now as you sit in this room, and I can't diagnose this for you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. All right, but here's what I can do. I can create a moment where we collectively sit together and we seek the Lord in this. So here's what we're going to do. In a minute, I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come out and they're going to lead us in a close. But it's not gonna be a responsive close where we stand and sing. What I wanna do is I want it to be a reflective close where we sit and we meet with the Lord and we listen to the words that Alec is going to sing over us. And what I want us to do right now is to take a moment and say, God, what are you trying to do in my heart? What are the weeds that you are bringing to the surface that I need to pull and leave them with you? Where in my heart have I chosen anger and bitterness and frustration? He's a good shepherd. Like how amazing is it that God would love us so much that he would send his son to die so that he could have the opportunity to shepherd us. It's more than we could ever deserve. And God is calling to us right now, saying, allow me to lead, allow me to shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What an awesome promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Um, I thank you for the privilege it is to be able to gather together. Um, So often we don't know what we have until it's gone. And um, just... uh, Thank you for a sweet morning together. Thank you for um, those who are serving us by leading worship and using their giftedness that way to bless us. Thank you for those that are watching our kids right now and serving us in that way. Thank you for all of um, just these people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and, and help. What a cool thing. But God, I just pray right now more than anything that you would reveal to us, that you would move in our hearts and that we would not be a church who wasted this season of being separated of difficulty but that we would come through this stronger better and more committed to bring you glory in everything we do we love you it's in your son's name we pray amen